Christmas time, Achilles' pain subsides. It almost scans, and it's mainly accurate. In December 2018, biomechanics analyst, posture and motion specialist and running coach Helen Hall was still gently keeping me on track and accountable via those voice messages. Okay, it's been a few weeks. Hello, hello, hello. Checking in with you. How is it all going? Are you being kind and loving to your amazing body at the end of the year in preparation for an amazing next year? Hi, Helen. It's Bob. I just did my last cycle of 2018 yesterday. I'm a bit worn out of it. I think, you know, that end of year weariness. I've been still doing the drills and the listening to the weirdy hippie music and doing my wiggling to get the reflex going. So I think that's probably coming along quite nicely. That weirdy music is an EMDR music therapy bilateral stimulation album on Spotify that Helen shared with me. Here she is to tell you what it means. EMDR is amazing stuff. It stands for Eye Movement Desensitizing Reprogramming, otherwise known as music medicine. So it doesn't work unless you have headphones on where you hear the music move from one ear to the other, crossing the corpus callosum separating the right and left hemispheres. There's been amazing studies where under EEG, they actually watch the myelin fibers being laid down on the corpus callosum connecting the two hemispheres during EMDR activation. So it instigates alpha brainwave state, um, which creates this sort of state of super learning zone or active meditation. So the idea was I listened to that whilst I did the drills and the messages that those drills were trying to tell my body would be accelerated by the fact that this music was joining both sides of my brains and this reflex that I was trying to regenerate that I'd never had since I was a baby because I'd been a bum wriggler, not a crawler, and had never developed. I was now trying to develop it by doing frog leg things, lying on my stomach on my bed, listening to that weirdy music. I know... It sounds cuckoo, but it worked. It's very nice to listen to anyway. While you're doing the drills, it's relaxing early in the morning or late in the evening. It drowns out the sound of your children arguing, which is not conducive to healing at all. So I went with it. I think I'm at that stage now where it's not really hurting when I get up in the morning. It's a little bit stiff, but I haven't done any other running other than the downhill drills. So yeah, I guess a bit of, a bit of guidance on what you think next would be good. That guidance came in person when I visited Helen Hall again in the first week of January. More on that in the next episode but first there's Christmas and that means dietary decision making for our group. This morning's hungover breakfast was a homemade banana, avocado, oat and nut butter smoothie followed by an avocado and falafel wrap. No idea whether the healthier food made it worse or better, but I do feel I either have or am about to plunge balls deep into and then eventually cross the vegan Rubicon. Isn't the Rubicon a drink you get in North London kebab houses? That is just Rubicon without the the. Hi, and welcome to our podcast about the Bob Graham Round. A 66-ish mile run in the Lake District up and over 42 of England's tallest mountains in under 24 hours. Recorded throughout 2018 and 2019, this is an audio account of a year preparing for and attempting the BGR. 
These are our Bob Graham sounds. A week before Christmas, I booked a couple of days off work and hit the road early one morning to the Big Smoke to meet some very exciting podcast guests. Take the National Express when your life's in a mess. It'll make you smile. Due to my tightness, I mean shoestring budget, I took the coach Welcome to National Express rather than pay the extortionate peak time fare on the train into London. A customer information card is located in the seat back in front of you. Please take a moment to familiarise... This backfired as an accident closed the Hindhead Tunnel on the A3. The coach driver got lost on the diversion, took his wing mirror off going under a narrow bridge he should have avoided and had to abandon our journey at Hazelmere. Emergency exits are located at the front and rear of this vehicle and are clearly marked. My first interview appointment in London was at 10, so I took a white-knuckle taxi ride with two other disgruntled tight asses, and we ended up on the train anyway. Ah, oh, letting the train take the strain. Ladies and gentlemen, it's God speaking. Number one, the train service to London. So much nicer. It ran to time, and after a lovely brisk walk from Waterloo across the river, through London's glittering West End, and up Regent Street under the Christmas lights, I made it on time to meet Vassos Alexander. Cool. How long about do you need me for? Um, half an hour? Yeah, cool. Is that all right? Yeah. A sports journo of many years in the BBC, Vassos is now co-host of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Chris Evans, but back then, December 2018, he was in his last week at Radio 2, and that was where we met to talk about his love of running, especially mountainous ultras. Uh, so uh, I'm in Radio 2, there are running shoes in the corner, and so we must be in the office of uh, Vassos Alexander. Hello. Hello, Bob. I'd like to talk to you about running. Which, Good, thank uh, you. I'm I love talking about running. Yeah, so I've been reading your book and I'm uh, sort of halfway through it and I think I know the finish to some of the events that you're partway through in those chapters, but I won't do spoilers for everyone. I, I always like it when I'm reading a book and I, I feel like I've got a bit of a kinship with the person. So I think we're roughly the same age. I'm 42. Yeah, yeah, 41. Right, yeah. Uh, we've got three children, roughly yeah. the same age. Mine are 5, 10 and 13. Mine are 14. 12 and 4 so yeah absolutely we're uh, basically the same person we, and we both like running silly distances yeah and we both live in the south of England miles yeah. from proper wilderness and real yeah. hills Annoyingly, so you must have to do a lot of driving what I'd like to do really if, if possible is sort of lasso the Lake District mm. Snowdonia Peaks Dales and actually uh, the Highlands and just bring them Four hours closer to London. Yes. I'm not saying to London, <laughs> but just for... Because that drive, the drives... I mean, to get to the lakes on a Friday night. Mm. I mean, but the thing is, maybe it's like, you know, that whole um, that whole Buddhist thing. You suffer and then it's better, all the better when you get there. So maybe you need the, need the M6 so that when you get to Wasdale, suddenly your enjoyment of getting there is all the greater. Maybe that's right. But yeah. it doesn't feel like it when you're on the M6, does it? No, and, and I think the journey home is, is worse as you get stuck yeah. around Birmingham or something. Yeah. yeah. Where, when did you start running? Were, were you a, um, always a runner, cross-country at school, or did it, was it some sort of midway through your 30s? Yeah, it was that, it was that, it was that sort of that um, cliché. 
midway through the 30s. I first noticed a little roll of fat. I was sitting in a traffic lights and I looked down and I'd always thought of myself as quite thin. Um, and I always was. And then I'd just been playing golf and I noticed a little roll of yellow fat in my yellow golf shirt that was flopping over my belt. And it wasn't, I'm not, nothing dramatic, but I just suddenly had that realisation that I'm either going to have to do some exercise or stop eating what I want or, or get fat. And I sort of tried the exercise route and I hated it in the gym. But then the first time I went running, and this is only about 10 years ago, the first time I went running, I just, I didn't kind of know why I loved it. I didn't find it easy. Nobody finds, I mean, I still don't find running particularly easy. I mean, the odd, you know, wonderful run where everything just feels like flowing. But, you know, it's still, you still have to put your trainers on. You're still sweating when you get home. I mean, mm. it's not, you know, it's not like sitting on the sofa. But I've, I, I found it particularly difficult when I started. But I kind of knew even from those first few runs outside that I'd stumbled on something that was kind of just ticking a lot of boxes for me. And then I just went where the runs took me. You know, I didn't set out to be an ultra marathon runner. I didn't set out to be a marathon runner. I didn't, to be honest, set out to even do so much as a park run. I just thought, oh, let's see how it goes. We have Claire, who's reading the news, who wants to come in. So I'll just say it's absolutely fine for her to yeah. come in. No, of course it's fine. Of course, sorry about this, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, Claire, we're doing, this is Bob. Hi. Um, we're talking want, running in the background. Who, who wants to talk to me about running for his, for his, for his, yeah. Yeah, for his podcast. Um, but I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna jump in, about my running experience. Yeah. yeah pretty minimal. <laughs> <laughs> On the beach in France about twice a year. There you go. <laughs> Over air running is the best. Isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly what I was saying. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's Claire, who's reading the news on Radio 2 today. And um, and I can't remember what I was saying. I was just saying running is ace, wasn't I? Yeah, and I guess you, you went through the sort of doing local races and that sort of thing. And then when did you start running really wild runs or really crazy distances? So the first race I did was, as part. I was working at Five Live at the time, was the Great North Run. They were doing some kind of weird, let's try and persuade more people in the north to listen to five live and they did something called i think it was called an october fest weirdly for no real reason in newcastle and as part of it a few people at five live ran the great north run and i was one of them and i was just hooked the, you know the all-encompassing good energy around a, a, a run even a road run like that it's not a particularly pretty one but it's fantastic and they really turn out to to cheer you on the people of the northeast from newcastle to south shields and then yeah and then i did down a road marathons and then i was particularly obsessed for many years with breaking three hours in the marathon which you did did you do that in london um i did i have done it actually but i got into trail running before i broke three hours okay it's that sort of thing, you know, you suddenly realise when you... It was Keswick. I, I was hosting a mountain festival up in Keswick mm. and I ran a trail half marathon and I suddenly thought, oh, gosh, this is a new level of running. At which point the sub three thing became much less important to mm -hmm. me, at which point, obviously, I went sub three in London. Actually, the first time I did it was on... A, that's a long story. But anyway, yes, London. Let's go with that. Having finished his book now, I know the full story. And he actually broke three hours at a marathon in Kent that I've started before but not finished. That was a particular low point for me in my recent injury-riddled running history. You did the marathon by doing loads of laps of quite a short cycle course and I had to pull out after about a mile with cramps in my quads and then spend the next three hours handing out water to my mate as he completed it before he could give me a lift home. From the moment I crested my first fell in the Lake District, then I knew that, you know, trail running, proper off-road stuff, that was, uh, that was my 
That was yeah. the future. Which one was it? It was, it was the Keswick. I was called the Keswick Half Marathon. Right. It was, it was only a half marathon. Which fell was the first one you, you take oh, I don't actually know. Because um, I wasn't concentrating. It was just, I was following the person in front of me who was Chrissy Wellington. Right. The, uh, the Ironman World Champion, yeah. the many times the Ironman World Champion. And she, was, she, she went up and then she went off. She won it in two, this is someone who can run a marathon at the end of an, uh, an Ironman triathlon in 2.45 or so. Wow. She won the half marathon with no swim or cycle before it in two hours, which sort of shows how, how hilly it was, which, you know, my family were there. They said, well, we'll see you at the finish. How long is it going to take? You know, I went, well, I can do a half in 1.20 or so, you know. So let's say 1.30, 1.40, you know, I was two hours and 15 minutes. They thought I'd been lost out there. But then again, the time doesn't matter, does it? That's the point. Um, yeah. Let me try and think what well, it was it? Oh. Skiddles, the massive yeah, one. Yeah, it must have been. Isn't it, so. No, because we took, that's the thing, because we took a boat across the lake to the oh, start. Okay. And then we could have come Maybe back via. The, the yeah, one. and then we'd have come back via Skidor, I think. Okay. I think that's how it worked. But I haven't sort of pieced that together in my head. I just remember that feeling of cresting the first fell and thinking that like, the whole of England is laid out before you. And it's like, oh, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. And, um, and you also feel when you're running, when you're wild running like that, that you are somehow doing right by your DNA. You know, this is what we were born to do. We weren't, well, we certainly weren't born to sit on chairs, but we actually equally weren't born to run on, on tarmac. Mm. We were born to run over rough ground, and that's, you know, the whole born to run thing with Christopher McDougall. Obviously, people listening to this will know about that, but that was a real kind of eye-opening moment in, in many ways, that, that, that first fell. And then you descend kind of crazy quickly what is the old the old thing breaks off brain off yeah yeah, yeah. Um, as you were saying that about when we sit in chairs too much you're um, shuffling around on your uh, big Pilates ball mm. so has, has running influenced lots of the way you yeah, yeah. do life now yeah, absolutely yeah yeah are you a barefoot convert no, no I completely agree with barefoot running I mean completely I, I, I would if I started again maybe go mm. go barefoot or go you know zero drop shoes I've got minimal drop shoes and I mean, it doesn't really matter on the on the fells anyway, because nothing's you know you're not you're not landing on a safe cushioned road. It's not the same thing every every step for your feet. But I no, I, I completely agree with it. But I don't do it because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you know, touch wood, I'm not injured. I haven't been injured for a while. I sprained an ankle in the Welsh mountains a few years ago. But I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to be a bloke who's injured because he tried something you know don't try and be too clever with myself yeah i think i've done that i think you know i've got this long-standing achilles problem and i think it's probably because i read christopher mcdougall's book and dilly dallied with trying barefoot things and even the um so i'm in ons at the moment for my my road running on cloud flow i think and you can see that those are my old trainers the asics gel cumulus and they have a 10 millimeter drop from heel to toe and these have a six Okay. And even when I started running with them, which was this year, I think the first uh, race I did, they sent me a pair and I just got them out of the box and ran the Manchester Marathon with them. And even, <laughs> and um, they were too small. Actually, they were these ones. <laughs> and those ones, which are half a size bigger, are fine. Got terrible blisters and things. But I quite liked, I quite liked the feel of it. I quite liked the, the, the lesser drop. But even just going from 10 to 6, I found quite a, you know, I could feel it in my Achilles. I could yeah. feel it in my calves. So it, it's just a, it's a big thing when you're used to running. And I actually think it's more your running gait than the shoes that you're wearing. That's the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. So as long as I'm kind of midfoot striking, yeah. which I generally am, then I think I'll be okay whatever shoes I'm wearing rather than, 
you know, feeling you have to get straight into the vibrams and um, do yeah. that. Is that what you did? Yeah, I, uh, I, I tried running actually in bare feet in, on the grass and, I, and then I tried in some very minimal shoes and I read all sorts of books about trying to land yeah. you know, on the forefoot. And I think I probably overdid that. So rather than the coach I've seen recently has said, just land sort of just in front of the heel. Whereas I think I was almost running almost That's on tippy toe. And, sprinting almost. Yeah, yeah and so yeah. You, you feel fine for a couple of miles and then the next day you can't walk. And yeah. you, you look quite quick. Are you a quite a quick runner? Um, I was reasonably quick. Uh, I feel like I've, I've lost a bit of my... For years I've been injured on and off. So yeah. I cycle a lot now, but not haven't run consistently but I've done a, a sub three marathon way back uh, in the late 90s I still trade off those figures anyway <laughs> yeah yeah it's like the old thing how, how, how can you tell if someone's done a sub three marathon they'll tell you yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um so your your book uh, you've written two but the the latest one running up that hill the highs and lows of going that bit further obviously uh, you just mentioned when you first do a big run in the fells and things suddenly the times and the 10k speed and all that sort of stuff is immaterial it doesn't, doesn't it and, yeah and you just enjoy the first big day out in the hills and, and in your book you talk about running the dragon's back race yeah where you're it's just against the weather the clag comes down it, mm. it's just a totally different experience isn't it is that the bit that you're sort of in love with yes exactly it's just the so when you're running in the London Marathon, let's say 10, 10 miles into the London Marathon, you want to have, to have hit that in about 65 minutes, you know, like what I do, you yeah. know. Whereas 10 miles into, you know, a 60-mile day in Snowdonia, who cares how long you've been? You know, that's, you're very much in the moment, whereas in London... And I love them. I absolutely love that. You know, we auction places in the London Marathon every year for children in need, and it makes a load of money. And I love the London Marathon. It's mm. a fantastic event. And in fact, if you were an alien and you said to me, where should I come and land to see humanity at its best? I'd say the Mall on London Marathon Sunday afternoon. It's fantastic. The positive energy, both from the outside the barriers, you know, with people coming to cheer and support, and, and inside with the runners, and a lot of them are doing it for cheer. It's fantastic, you know, so don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't hate road running. I just love trail running, I think, on another level, because you are necessarily running in the future on the road if you're going for a time, whereas on the trail, you're very much in the, in the present. I know it's also lower intensity, do you know what I mean? You know, you and I could go and run... Um, for five hours in the in the in the lakes, and we'd be chatting the whole time. Whereas in London, you've kind of you know you're you're much closer to your lactate threshold, so you can't you can't enjoy the experience quite as much. I don't no. think. Plus, of course, there's that added thing that when you're running in somewhere beautiful, you're running in somewhere beautiful. Yeah, and you've got time a bit more to enjoy it. I think when you're going downhill, you've got to concentrate. Yes, yeah. because there is added risk as well. That's what I was going to say. As well as the added enjoyment, the beautiful views sometimes, if you're lucky, and, uh, and the wilderness, there's a level of sometimes fear. I, mm. I'm, I'm nervous going downhill. I'm terrible. I done it enough. I'm terrible. Yeah. And so I see thinner, lighter, smaller runners, and I think, oh, it's because you're thinner, lighter, smaller. But they just float down the hill. Yeah. But I think some of it is disengaging the brain and having the guts and the good yeah. technique. Yeah, it's not it. particularly graceful, is it, watching these amazing kind of fell runners going downhill, but it is extraordinary. You know, arms out, and then the speed. So that first fell, I crested in Keswick when I was mm. doing that half marathon. I, I got to the top at the same time as this other competitor, and I went 
really fast down that first fit. I mean, I really, I was just right on the limit and bit beyond of control. Mm. And within 100 metres, she was 300 metres ahead of me. It was just extraordinary to see. Yeah. And I just don't have that ability to just... Um, to, to disengage the brain quite enough. Mm. And I don't really know if I want it. No, no. Um, I mean, I've, I think you have as well. You mentioned occasions in, in your book where you're just sort of thinking, oh, this is fantastic. I'm, you know, great. And then, whoop, bang, you're, you're on the floor and you've smashed your face. And, and I, I, I've, um, I've definitely had days in the lakes where, yeah, it's brilliant. And then you slip and all of a sudden broken nose or, mm. you know, yeah. it, it can but make you Broken up. nose. If that's the worst that's going to happen, I disengage the brain. But if it's going to stop me running for a month or two months, you know, then, God, is it worth it? Mm. For the, and that's what I'm always thinking about. I just, I don't, I mean, you're injured now, you know, and even when we're walking up the stairs, you, I could sense your frustration when we were coming up here. That, yeah. You know, that you're only allowed to run downhill currently. I mean, yeah. you know, that's not you, is it? And, no. And I, I just, I love the fact that I'm not injured too much to risk it. Another interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about, you've done the Spartathlon, mm. which you completed. Wikipedia says, Spartathlon is a 246km, 153 miles ultramarathon race held annually in Greece, based on the historical run of Pheidippides, who ran from Athens to Sparta before the Battle of Marathon in a day and a half to seek aid against the Persians. Five Royal Air Force officers attempted the course in 1982 and the competition was started the next year. I'm at the point in your book where you're approaching the big mountain that's sort of two-thirds of the way through yeah. and the, 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 so the kind of folklore goes once you've got over the mountain you'll probably finish so that's yeah. the sort of thing that's going on in your head but you're really aware that you've gone too fast yeah. for that first part so I wanted you to talk about because I've never done anything longer than a marathon so, so for me preparing for the Bob Graham round which we're going to do you know that that running for a long, long distance, as well as many hours, it will be a first time for me. So I want you to describe that point where you think, oh, everything's going fine, everything's going fine, and then suddenly it's not going fine really, yes. really badly. I've only experienced that in the marathon where I've sort of hit the wall. Mm. Uh, how is you it? Only, yeah, you've only got 26 miles to go, whereas you know, you're not going to hit the wall before like 16, are you? No. So then there's, you know, it's, uh, it's um, <sighs> But the thing I love about ultra running as well is the problem solving element. You know, you know that in a race of 153 miles, when you have to do the first marathon in what was it, 345, and it's not flat, and the first 50 miles in eight and a half, I mean, it's not, you know, they make you push. Yeah. You know that something's going to go wrong. You know, nothing, you can't have everything go right in 153 miles. It's just, it, well, I mean, it might happen, but it's not going to happen to someone like me. And yeah, there was a moment, it was the last. So I got over the mountain, I was fine, I think it was 17 odd hours to, to, to the 100 mile point, which is the top of the mountain. And it's a proper old mountain, by the way, better than anything we've got in, or bigger right. than anything we've got in the UK. It's 4,000 feet and you start, I mean, you're there, there's the sea, you yeah. know, so you, as you're running, you, you're starting by the sea. So there's, it's not like you're, you're starting, you never know really with, like, with Snowden, how, 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 how high you, you know, yes. when you're when you at the bottom of Penny Pass, how much of the 3,000 odd feet you've got to climb. Whereas with this one, you knew because there's the sea, so that's sea level, yeah. and there's the mountain, and you've got to get up it. This is Mount Parthenion, the Mount of the Virgin, and yes, its elevation is 1,215 metres, or, as Vassos said, 4,000 feet. It went badly wrong for me, I would say, from 120, 130 miles in. I mean, ultra runners will know that when you, you know, you get that, that sort of trashed feeling in your quads and you carry on through that. 
And for the first time ever, I was just not able to run. I just, it wasn't that I couldn't or it hurt too much. You know, it just, I just couldn't do it. So I started to sort of, that sort of power walk, the kind of, that ultra runners do, usually up hills. Mm. But I had to do it the whole time because I just, and I kept trying, I kept trying to run and it just kept not happening. and sort of stumbled to a stop. So I did the power walk and then that stopped being an option for me as well. So I just didn't know how I was going to, you know, get to the finish. I really didn't. And I had, I'd built up a huge buffer of sort of six hours. But even so, you know, it's all about, and again, it's not about time. It's just about, you kiss the statue at the end, which is a fantastic finish. You know, you touch the statue of Leonidas in Sparta. And I just wanted to see that statue, not from the windows of a bus, because there's the death bus that comes behind. <laughs> and there are so many checkpoints, every sort of two or three miles, and everyone has the time this checkpoint closes. And if you get to the checkpoint after it closes, that's you done. The race has 75 checkpoints where race officials disqualify you if you fail to meet the time cutoffs or if you look too tired to continue. So it was really, it was really quite A, stressful, B, painful. We talked about Chrissy Wellington. She always says she, she retired from Ironman triathlon racing because she had reached, you know, she, she knew that the, the, the well was no deeper than she had to and she had to kind of delve into it for her last race. And that was me, basically. I was right at the bottom of my... I was laid bare on that Greek mountainside with, like, 20 miles to go. I think the last half marathon took me four and a bit hours. Wow. I mean, that was the bit I was looking forward to. They said, like, the last 20-odd K is gently downhill on roads into Sparta. And I was thinking, well, in any state, two hours. Yeah. And it was way more than four, maybe five. I don't know. I just... I can't remember much of it, to be honest. I know that I probably fell asleep on my feet, and, and well, I know I did, and I hallucinated and all that stuff that people do on, on these long races, but I can't really remember. It's just, I got it done, but I don't quite know how. I had very dark moments, but not, you know, not to be, some people are kind of cross and angry in those dark, I'm never like that. I'm always kind of, you know, smiley and charming to the volunteers, but my kind of, my internal thoughts were self-pity and kind of bad stuff, and then, I don't know how. I don't know how I got it through. Got through it. Did you know that you had um, great staying power and great tenacity? What, what sort of sportsman were you before you started? No, not all that. Race? No, not all that. Right. Running's taught me. You know, they say running, you find out stuff about yourself. Well, yeah. everything I found out about myself through running is the good stuff. So I don't, you know, I don't know if anyone has found out kind of bad stuff about themselves through running. I think it's only going to show you you at your best because whatever happens, you've been out for a run. Even if it's 10 minutes and you've had to walk every 30 seconds, it doesn't matter. You know, you've been out for a run. You're better than somebody who hasn't. Mm. So it's only going to show you the good stuff, I think. And have you found on the really long runs, have you experienced that sort of transcendental, meditative, zen, oh, I'm, I'm 40, 50 miles in and I could run forever. Is it sort of different at 40, 50 miles than it is at 15 no, just, miles? In a no, it just round? hurts more, right. you know, to be honest. Um, like you do, and there's no getting away from it, however many ultras you do. Well, I don't know, maybe maybe if you've done 100, but I just think that that sort of, you feel like you're, when you're running, your, your, your quads are trashed, you know, and you just have to get over it. There's nothing, um, do I feel there's it? I sort of do. I mean, I love, I feel it more on a run that isn't a race. Mm. So put me on the downs by the Jurassic Coast, and I'll be there three hours, four hours with the dog, and I just, I'm so happy. I'm so, I'm literally, I literally feel like I could run forever. I don't care if it's uphill or downhill, but 
you know, look at this place. And, and the only thing I've, you know, whenever I told my wife I'd be back, but sometimes I get up before dawn to start these runs so that I've, I've bought myself already three hours before anyone else wakes up. Yeah. And so then if I want a five hour run, I'm only asking for two hours, which is only breakfast for the kids. I love that. I love that feeling. And especially a run where you start uphill immediately. So we hire cottages sometimes around there. And if you go straight up or down for the first 10 minutes, yeah. then something happens to your legs where you just feel a little bit bionic for the rest of the run. Johnny Brownlee once told me he always starts a run uphill because it just, I don't know, how, I don't know what it does to the legs, but it just sort of prepares them. And, and, and then the rest of the run is, is that much easier. So no, I do feel I don't feel it so much in a race because there's always that sort of time element. Yeah. And there's other people around, and there's other pe- things to enjoy. Whereas the Zen thing, I feel when I'm on my own, um, I could be lost. I could be not lost. I just I love that. One or two questions from our, uh, our team. There's a little gang of us um, preparing for the Bob Graham. Uh, Mark wanted to know if you have ultra running guilt. How do you get the balance? with work and family you just alluded to yeah. buying that early time maybe getting up early and uh, you know fitting mega runs into your life you just have to you well a run your commute so i mean I, i'm wearing jeans here but as you can see running shorts running shoes um sorry running socks and shoes and there's running shorts underneath my jeans and this is a running top so you just run your commute that's okay. that's seven miles for me into here and seven miles home that aren't that much longer than they would be if i was on the tube or in a cab or even on a bike, to How be honest. How long have you done that for? How many? Most of the time. So you, you incorporate it into your life. Yeah. And also, ultra running, it's not like cycling training. So to do a, to do even do a 100-mile cycle, you're doing five, six-hour bike rides every weekend. That's yeah. a lot. You never do a five-hour training run. Literally never. You know, you do a five-hour race. The longest I'll go for a training run is three or four hours, and maybe, on, and maybe that only once before... A hundred mile race, and maybe not even because you can do a hundred mile race on marathon fitness, no problem at all. Because again, it's the, the time doesn't matter. So you, you know, it's the time of the races, the time of the training. You just don't have to worry about because it's only running. You know what I mean? An hour's run is a pretty good is a pretty good time. And two hours run is fantastic. Yeah, was two hours run is like a six seven hour bike ride. Uh, both calorie wise and also training volume wise. So uh, it, it's running. It's not an issue. And uh, do you still drag kids and wife along to races? Do they care now about watching you, or is that something? They're you really lovely, often? my family. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't. If they want to come, they come. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do. You know, if I if I if I'm off to do a marathon with with Chris Evans, who I work with and, and is my good friend, he he will have his family there maybe, and I sometimes won't. We've done a few ahead of New York, London. Sometimes they come because it's London. But sometimes they don't as well because it's a bit of a hassle. Mm. If it was the I mean, the big one was the Spartathlon, but that was Greece, so they didn't come. Yeah. And the Dragon's Back race was Wales, and they've got school and stuff. Yeah. So, if possible, they'll come to see me at the finish. There's nothing better than crossing a finishing line with holding your kids' hands. Mm. So they, my wife was there at the, at the end of my first hundred miler, which was wonderful and not easy for her to get to as well in Eastbourne, the South Downs Way hundred. Yeah. Uh, so I love it, but they don't have to. They come running. My son and I do park run most weeks and we love it because, again, we make it about the run, not the time, even though it's time, the park run. Yeah. We, we run around Fulham Palace talking about how terrible, because Craven Cottage, the Fulham football ground, is right there and we're both Fulham fans. So we basically talk about how terrible Fulham are yeah. or how brilliant they were when it was last season. And we just chat and it's nice. And, you know, you start the weekend with a nice run with your son, time spent with your son. My daughter Rose now, so she doesn't do so much running. And my, my, my youngest, Mary, she does uh, junior park run now. So, yes, it is, 
it's in our family, but I try not to badger them about it because otherwise you want to put them off, aren't you? Yeah. Um, how do you fit in as a southern living person? Uh, how do you fit in hills? Do you just sort of run up and down to the chip shop on your local hill a, a million times to get some yeah. climb in your legs? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a hill in um, Richmond Park. People will know Richmond Park. So if you go in Richmond Gate and go like Pembroke, Pembroke Hill, it's called, uh, up and down this grassy hill from the little kind of um, the, the concrete. What are they called? Like a like it's a paving slab at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, a manhole cover sort of thing. And you know, there's a gate at the top, and just up and down that. I've done it, you know, and it takes about three or four minutes I think to get up and down just keep going up and down it right but I tell you what you know you feel it the next day I know it's only a short sharp hill and here if I'm training here because sometimes I do telly in East London and I've got a few hours free here yeah Primrose Hill again even shorter but it's still a hill yeah you don't need doesn't need to be Snowden or you know scarf or pike to yeah. to get you going up hills where, where do you where do you well, you've got the downs on your doorstep yeah you? i'm not far so i'm in portsmouth there's portsdown hill butts hill at the edge of the downs yeah, yeah. i mean but it is up and down up and down up and down lots of times you're in uh, folklore in our gang because i think i'd emailed you about meeting to do this interview and you said that you were in the lakes doing repeats on kirk fell that was tough <laughs> i'll be honest with you <laughs> who does that repeats was... on kirk fell kirk fell is bonkers yeah because we were there, because the family were there, and I just thought, oh, just, you know, it's so pretty and perfect, isn't it? It just looks like triangular, like a, like, you know, if you were going to draw a fell, you just draw that kind of, like, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's an A without the, the line, of it's a capital A. But then, and it's got that path up the middle from, from Wasdale, Wasdale Head. And, and you just thought, well, I'd go, I'd go up there, and I said I'd do it. How many did I do? Three or four? Scott, oh, no, oh wow, you know. My, I mean, you think you'll run up the whole thing and you can't. Well, maybe some people can, but I can't. Yeah. So you run up about half it and then you're, you're hiking up the other half and it's really steep. And then you come down. I came down. I went up to the top, came down on the left, came round, give myself a little bit of running on the flat by the river there and then back up and down and back up. Oh, God, it was tough. <laughs> but one of my favourite ever runs. Yeah. It is a, a, a special place. Is, that your, is the lakes your favourite place to work, uh, run or is it um, Snowdonia? Greece. Um, well, Greece was very special because I'm Greek, and that yeah. race was, you know, that race was like my Chrissy's. It took me everything. It took me everything. Yeah. That's about Tatlin. Um, okay, one would I have to choose between Snowdonia and the Lakes. You see, I don't know the Highlands. No, I've never run in. Um, so I would say I don't. I don't mind to be honest. I don't mind, and I just did the um, the Om in um, the Black Mountains, which they were great too. Yeah, I don't mind. Get put put me in some mountains. We were in the Pyrenees in the summer. I mean, they're much more. They're much tamer, as in there are paths everywhere. Right. But they were great. The Alps are wonderful. Something about mountains, isn't there? Yeah. I don't really, honestly, don't mind. I I I, I can't I can't give you a favourite. But it's just, I feel so grateful, you know, especially when people want to talk to me about running, that it makes me think about my own running, mm. and I just, I think this is what I was saying when when Claire came in. It's just that I I'm 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 so grateful that I just followed where running took me and it's taken me into wonderful places like the lake district and and and, and snowdonia and running in them is just i know that the hikers think that we're all nuts and we're not appreciating them but we i think we do i don't think you connect with a place quite as deeply as you do as when you're running in it yeah and what where, where is running going to take you next what's your 
you know, do you have ambitions for particular events or like we're yeah. thinking about doing the Bob Graham? I'd love to do the Bob Graham. I've wanted to do the Bob Graham every, ever since I first um, ran in the Fells and read Richard Asquith's excellent book, yeah. Feet in the Clouds. If you haven't read it, read it. Not you, I know you've read it, but <laughs> people listening. But I feel that I need to do it like Richard did, kind of authentically and like I'm sure you're doing it. Um, people have offered, um, and I'm very grateful, to basically accompany me round, so mm. I don't have to do any of the route planning, I don't have to sort of think it's just a test of fitness, but I don't think the Bob Graham round is just a test of fitness. And if it was, I think I'd probably be okay, whether, you know, and, yeah. and you know, depending on how I am on the day. But I'd like to do some of the recce's on my own, kind of spend some time in the fells, kind of do the grunt work, and then try a Bob Graham round, and I think that's that's definitely not for 2019, so that's probably 2020, but that's how I'd like to do that. I want to do some of the big, iconic American 100 milers. We mentioned Chris McDougall's books, so Leadville, Western States, definitely. Um, less so Badwater, to be honest, because it's such a faff. You need a crew and you need uh, all this stuff. I just, I quite like the pair of trainers. The Spartathlon was great because it was a pair of trainers and carry on. Yeah. And just eat on the way if you want, whatever, whatever's there. So I want to do some of those American races. I'd like to do UTMB. I was meant to do it this year. And I, for slight injury and slight family, more family reasons, um, decided not to. Um, uh, one sec, sorry. Um, Graham, I'm just upstairs. Cool, okay, fine. Um, so where was I? Yes, I'd quite like to do UTMB, um, which I was meant to do this year and kind of didn't for mostly family reasons. So yeah, that sort of that sort of event. I, um, I'm going to do the Burkhouse Dragons Back Race again in 2019. So this will be your second one uh, yeah, after the one uh, in the book. Because that, that's, that's awesome, and I'd like to finish that, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think it was only my damaged ankle that stopped me finishing it, but it definitely didn't help going in with a with a significant high ankle sprain. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see how I fare. And also I've got a bit more experience in the mountains now. Um, so that sort of thing, you know, it's just so many events. Yeah. There's so many things on the wish list and people keep sending me new ones every day almost. I think, God, that the list should be getting shorter, but it's just getting longer and longer and longer. It's a case of prioritising, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. You're positivity comes out in the book and uh, definitely oozes out in the conversation it's great to get a bit of that sort of kick of the the joy of running from you as you're the showbiz sparkle to our podcast uh, who's the um, best or most exciting celebrity runner that you're that you've either run with or, or you know of mark on our team reckons johnny Marr is pretty decent and ronnie o'sullivan's supposed to be yeah a he's, good a, runner. he's a very good 10k runner yeah. ronnie and i'm um, not that i've run with him i'd love to but the best runner who's not a runner, James Cracknell. James Cracknell is really good because he, no, he has no right to run a marathon in sub two fifty. Literally no right. I mean, he's a rower. Yeah. Um, the, the last marathon I, the last London I did was in twenty twelve, and it's where I most hit the wall. I, I'd, I'd run it faster before, but I was really keen to try and break three hours at sixteen miles. I overtake Cracknell, so I think great. Yeah. This is I'm on target. At 20 miles, it all goes wrong, and Cracknell comes back past yeah. me, and I just couldn't stay with him. And I, I got, I think I finished in 3.05, 3.06, something like that, which I just think, how does he do it? Great big, heavy guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was one year he, he pulled out half 
way because he was injured mm. which was great because that was I was the quickest celebrity that year at London <laughs> <laughs> but then the next year Chrissy Wellington turned up and then the next year so James and I and I know James he's great lovely man mm. um, but he's very focused so they, they, they start us right at the front and usually the very fast club runners had always been behind us so you end up running the first mile far too quickly because you're having people stream past you yeah. and you're tapered and so you're fit and so you, you just and it doesn't feel like you're and then you pay for that later in the race but then there was this one year where they hadn't put the really fast club runners behind us they put a few kind of but just normal normal runners mm. so we started from the green start there's three starts and for the first two miles it was just me and James it looked like for I mean, if you were you know alongside the road it looked like we were leading the London Marathon right <laughs> And I, you know, and I know him, you know, so I was like talking to him going, this is ace James, isn't it? And it's still, it's, still, it's the first two miles of London. So you're thinking, um, surely we can have a chat. Yeah. I mean, we, it hasn't started hurting yet. We're just doing kind of 620 miles and, and, have, and enjoying it. And we're leading the London Marathon, for goodness sake-ish. But certainly from the green start. But anyway, absolutely not. Head down. I kept trying to engage him and this is somebody who I know yeah and it is a kind of a pal but no he was but then again you know I finished in whatever I finished in 301 or something I think I was that year and he was 248 right. so there you go who's you know amazing who wins he's amazing yeah he's great James because he's got no right to be a runner well um, good luck for your future running and thank um, you and you good luck when's the Bob Graham June 2019 good luck And then he was off. We dashed down the stairs and he met that chap Graham in reception, the one who rang during the interview. They seemed to be going for a run together, rather aptly. Vassos Alexander has written two running books, Don't Stop Me Now, 26.2 Tales of a Runner's Obsession, and Running Up That Hill, The Highs and Lows of Going That Bit Further. He's also the co-host, with Chris Evans, of Run Fest Run, a new running and music festival starting this year held in Windsor's Great Park in May. My London trip was a blend of running and music too. I went from the BBC talking to Vassos to The Guardian to talk to Adaranand Finn, author of Running with the Kenyans, to talk to him about his new book, The Rise of the Ultra Runners, A Journey to the Edge of Human Endurance. <laughs> it sounds fantastically dramatic. Yeah, so, we, we worked long and hard on that subtitle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in a nutshell, you like to kind of go method. You, you yeah. go to Kenya or you go to Japan. Where have you gone and what have you done for this? Yeah, well, so this time I didn't go to a ge- geographical place, but I went to the world of ultra runners uh, and ultra running. And then I went to the O2 with my spiritual tribe, that's middle-aged hipster dads, to watch one of my favourite bands, The War on Drugs. Much of the music in this episode has been theirs. Then, after a night in a worryingly cheap hotel in Bayswater, I completed my tour of massive media conglomerates in the capital with a trip to News UK. They're next door to the Shard in London Bridge and it's the home of The Times and The Sunday Times and I met the travel editor of those august organs, Duncan Craig. He's also an adventure and running writer whose own BGR attempt was the subject of a great article that I'd read in Runner's World a few years back. You were at university with my best mate from school, Beanie. That's right, yeah. Nick. I then sent a copy of an article in the Runner's World saying, is this your mate from university? Some years ago, and it turns out it was. And that article was about you doing the Bob Graham, so here we are. Yeah, no, exactly. That was actually by my good friend, Charlie Norton, who I ran it with and trained with. Um, But yes, it was very much about our attempt. 
Darren Ann and Duncan's stories and insight will be the subject of the next couple of podcast episodes. And so, after a whirl of late December podcast preparatory work, I went out on the festive lash with old mates and had to return home via the coach again, nursing a hangover, ready for Christmas with the family before beginning 2019 with renewed Bob Graham fitness focus. It's the 3rd of January 2019 and uh, I am on my way back to see Helen Hall. I was supposed to send you this podcast from the top of a mountain uh, at the weekend in the Lake District but because I was on top of a mountain I forgot. The training competition rules for those participating are as follows. Four scoring categories. Most ascent over the month. Fastest 5k for this time.